Right, hey, welcome, welcome everybody, Sunday service, good to see you guys, welcome together today, we are gathered on the Lord's day, to give worship to him, to hear his word preached. You know, we are in a series, we're in a series called the Fishers of Men series, right? And the series, again, it was developed, it was designed with the intention to, to stir up your affection, to stir up the relationship that you have with your God, to stir this affection up so that you can be someone who remembers that your life is meant to be a kingdom-building family, that you're part of God's kingdom-building plan, that our, 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 our hope is to bring restoration to the world around us. And we, and we, we talked about how, how really this fishers of men, this restoration of people, this, this gathering of others into God's kingdom, God's plan, it really starts with you. It starts about whether you have the gut check and asking yourself the real honest question of whether there is an actual identity that you have with God. Or are you worshiping God in name only, but your heart is not with him? Is there an identity that you have because of God? Is that restored in you? Are you restored spiritually? Are you awakened in your salvation? And we talked about how, how, how this actually plays out, how, how in, in, in the picture of marriage, how if, if, if you're not even able to be transparent about the idea of marriage or even be transparent within your marriage, how maybe your go-to response is, no, I don't want to, or... Yes, I definitely want to get married. You have to gut check your heart because it reveals something about what you're actually living for and what you're really transparent about. It reveals what's actually driving your life when things have to be real. Last week we talked about work, the restoration of your work. Right? And it was, it was, it was a hard topic to talk about, but... When we talk about the restoration of your work, what that entails is it means that do you have a vision to live an upright life within your work arena? Do you have a vision? Listen, all you career people out there. Do you have a vision to live a life that seeks for the benefit of the common good of those around you, even if it disadvantages you? Do you have a vision for your work? Okay. And you have to ask the real question. You have to ask the real gut question. Is your work exploiting people? Is your work using tools to promote idolatry? Don't run from those questions. Engage those questions. Those are questions you have to ask. They're tough questions, but you have to ask them. And you have to ask the question, what's your motivation in your work? Why are you working? Is it really to bring flourishing to the common area, to common people around you? Does it bring flourishing through emotional flourishing, spiritual flourishing, physical flourishing, spiritual flourishing, right? Or is it merely simply about you surviving, getting a job, making money, and retiring? Because to live an upright life within your work, it is to seek for the good of those around you, even if you don't get paid as much as you think you could, right? These are hard questions, but you've got to ask them. Because when you ask these questions, when you really begin to ask these questions, that's how you begin to bring restoration into your workplace. That's how you begin to bring restoration into your relationships. 
And that's how you begin to bring restoration within your life as well. Because it all boils down to your relationship to Jesus. But today, today I'm going to talk about one of my favorite topics. It's one of the topics that's near and dear to my heart. And it's the topic of church. It's being called to the church. Being called to bring restoration within these walls. That because we are called to be a particular type of community. Do you know why I love this topic? Do you know why I harp upon uh, Christian community all the time? Right? It's not just about gathering and building this, um, this, 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 this place so I can accolade my name. But that I know I was found and restored within the Christian community. It is in the Christian community that I had access to the relationship with Jesus Christ. The greatest access in the world. And so why would I not love and promote and push for the one thing that I saw that can have a real impact upon life? So today we're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about the distinction, the uniqueness, the irreplaceability of the church. Why this community is so unique. I know some of you guys think, I don't know if it's unique, PT. Actually, maybe some of you guys don't even know what the church is about. You're going to learn it today, right? And I hope you guys fix whatever attitude you have about it. We're going to talk about the unique, distinct, irreplaceable Christian community that we call the church. Second thing we're going to talk about is the, the characteristic of this community. And thirdly, the secret source of the Christian community. So first thing, we're talking about the irreplaceability of this Christian community. Why this community is such unique and distinct and unlike any community out there. We turn to our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 to look at these answers. Let me read for you guys the verses that we have. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 25, and then we're going to break down some verses, okay? Three distinctions I want to make about the unique irreplaceableness of the Christian community. Open your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. This is what it says. Listen now. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. He's saying first, we have the confidence to enter into this place where we can experience and meet God because of who? Because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Again, it's because of Jesus that we're able to enter into this relationship with the creator, the master, the Lord, the father of all things. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Again, since because we have Jesus who brings us there. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So first four verses is talking about how we enter into this relationship. But here's the last thing, 23 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In this passage, there is three distinct, unique, irreplaceable aspects of the Christian community. I need you to know this. I need you to hold on to this. I need you to ask yourself, are we creating this community? Three unique, 
distinct, irreplaceable aspect of the Christian community. Here's the first one. Look at verse 25. It says this. Let us not give up meeting together. Meeting together. The Greek word for the word meeting together is the word episynagogue, from where we get the word synagogue. The first unique, distinct, irreplaceable aspect of the Christian community is this picture of congregation. The word episynagogue, meeting together, is the word which we get congregation. And this is a unique word, the word congregation. Let me explain it to you, okay? Congregation is different from aggregation. Aggregation is the gathering of people together who come to listen to a speaker or to come to an event or to come to uh, experience something. It's like a bag of marbles. And everyone marbles is there. You just kind of shake them up. They're all in that bag together. That's an aggregation. But the distinct, unique, irreplaceable aspect of the Christian community is the word congregation. You know what congregation is? Congregation is like a bunch of grapes. It's a cluster of grapes. All the grapes is, are organically linked to one another. What's distinct and what's unique about this community is that a congregation is a community in which all aspects of its members' lives touch. When we say that we ride and die together, I really mean that. That if someone is suffering, we all should be suffering. If there's a rejoice within the community, we all should be rejoicing. And there's babies happening, we should all celebrate the new babies. If there are weddings happening, we should all be there celebrating the wedding and the marriage. If there's brokenness and loss in the family, we should be there mourning. If there's death and loss, we should be there. See, a congregation is linked together. Its members are connected together. Its members are entwined in life together. A congregation just doesn't just come and listen to a message, to a speaker, or to have an experience. A congregation comes to eat together, to pray together, to learn together, to encourage one another together, to confess our sins to one another. A congregation is when the members are distinctly connected to each other. Do we have that, church? Are you an aggregate of this community? Or are you a congregation? Are you part of the congregation? Are you linked within its members? The first distinct, unique, irreplaceable aspect of the Christian community is congregation, right? But here's the second one. Look at verse 24, 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another. Verse 25, it says this. But let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. The second distinct, unique, irreplaceable aspect of Christian community is the phrase one another. This means mutuality, right? When you come to church, it's not a place you go, not only, it's a place you go not only to be taught or counsel or shepherd, it's a place you go to teach one another, to shepherd one another, to counsel one another, to encourage one another, to admonish one another. It's a place you go where there is a mutual relationship. You're not just here to get the experience. You're not just here to get these things. You're here to mutually be a part of one another. Right? 
Some people would say, you know, all I need, PT, is just to hear the message. That's probably all I need. You're not part of what the Bible is declaring a church. If your mindset is saying, all I need to do is just turn on my Spotify. I don't need to come on Sundays. I don't need to show up here and there. All I need to do is turn on my Spotify while I'm driving, listen to your message, and there, boom, I've done church. That's not church. The unique, distinct, irreplaceable aspect of Christian community is that you are in the life of one another. There's a mutual relationship. And people can come to church for years. You could be sitting in these pews for years and not understand this truth. Right? You could be around the church for years and not understand the concept because church is more than just showing up and listening or experiencing something. My question is, are you encouraging one another? Are you spurring one another towards love and good deeds? Are you considering the life of one another? How are they? What's going on? How can I speak truth into their life? Are you considering things for each other? Or do you merely think that I can just show up here in these pews, sit through all these years, and I've done church? That's not church, people. That's not church. The aspect, the distinctness of uniqueness, of the irreplaceability of the Christian community is that we are mutually bonded in relationship. You have a deep mutual ministry. There's a deep spiritual friendship between brothers and sisters in Christ. Where you do what? Where you get into each other's lives. You ask the hard questions. You show them love the way they need to be loved, not the way they want to be loved. You hold them accountable. You lift them up. You are, you, are you a part of that? Are we, are we creating that here? Is that you? I'll tell you the truth here, guys. You're not going to get that sitting at home. I'll get, I, you know, for a year, I, I followed the science for COVID. I did my best. I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I'm not going to lie. I didn't like it, right? But I followed it for the sake of the love of my community. For the sake of the love of the people, for the sake of the love of the older people, I try to follow the science. All right? If you can hang out and play and go on vacation, you can show up to church. All right? The majority of people here are vaccinated. You have more fear of people outside than you should have in here. See, but what does that reveal about the way you think about church? What does that show about the way you think about church? Because the distinct, unique idea and aspect of community is that you are mutually building relationship. If you're at home, I get it. It's okay. But let me ask you the question. Are you, are you at least at a watch party? Are you gathering together somewhere with people to be a part of a community? Because one of the aspects of a Christian community is that we are mutually in relationship with each other. It's not just about listening to the message. And I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth here, okay? This can swing both ways. You're not going to get a deep mutual ministry of one another if you come every week, sit in these pews, and you do not even for a moment, even for a lick of time, seek to invest in someone's life, to be a part of a community, to engage in our small group ministry. You can be here for as long as you like. You can come for as much as you want. You are not, we are not a mutually building church unless 
there is a desire and a want to build into the relationship of one another. Let me, let me make this clear so that just in case y'all you know, misquote me later on. Is PT saying I don't have to go to church anymore? That's not what I'm saying. Is PT saying I can just stay home? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I'm asking you the question. Whether you stay at home or whether you come to service, are you mutually building relationship with somebody else? Are you investing into someone else's life? See, what makes the Christian community distinct, unique, and irreplaceable is that one, it represents a congregation where members' lives are linked together. That's why it is. It's, it's, that's what it was made, is so that your lives are linked together. But the two, not only is it linked together, but that you're in mutual relationship with each other. You're seeking for the investment of the other person. You're seeking for the investment of the person next to you, on your left and on your right. You're seeking for the investment of your brothers and your sisters. You're, you're asking the question, how can I spur you on? How can I can help you? How can I encourage you? How can I bless you? How can I walk with you? But I said there was three distinct, unique, irreplaceable aspects of the Christian community, right? The third one is this. Look at verse 19 to 20, 19 to 22. It's very amazing here, okay? When you read the, through the book of Hebrews, you're going to see something. You're going to see the author of Hebrew really pushing this picture of the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. But there are so many times in the book of Hebrew where it does this little twist. So when it keeps talking about you want to get to the Father, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. You want to get to the Father, you have to have the priest who is Jesus Christ. You want to get to the Father, you got to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. But then it makes this one twist. Right after it talks about Jesus Christ being the only way to the Father, it talks about community. Why? Look at verse 19 and 20. Let me, let me show you. In verse 19 it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's the biblical language of to enter into the very presence of the living God. How? By the blood of Jesus. Verse 22, By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Again, pointing to the only way that you have access to God, the Father, is through Jesus Christ. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest who is who? Jesus Christ over the house of God so that we can enter into this house because of this priest. And it jumps to verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur each other. Do you know what the distinct, unique, irreplaceable aspect of the Christian community is? The third thing? We know we have access to the Father through Jesus. But how do we have access to the access? Let me say that again. We know that we have access to the Father because of Jesus, but how do we have access to Jesus? How do we have access to Jesus? And what it's saying here, the point it's trying to make is that we have access to Jesus through, everybody say community. We have access to Jesus through community. This is not a one-on-one -on -one thing. If you think that you can stay at home, read your devotion for about 15, 20 minutes, and then somehow your life will be changed, Somehow you will grow deeper in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're fooling yourself. You have access to the deep relationship with Jesus only through community. 
It is in the community of brothers and sisters who are mutually in relationship to each other, who congregates and builds and links together in their lives that you have access to the one who have access to the Father. You don't know Jesus until you come to the community that is his body. You can never understand Jesus deeper until you come and congregate and be a part of and build your life into a community that bears his name. The community is how we have access to Jesus. You see, Christ works in us in lots of ways. Jesus can work in you in a lot of different ways. But primarily, he works in us through each other. You know that? He works in us through each other. How do you know that you have an issue with self-pity? If someone in the community does not call that out for you. How do you know that you're living a life selfishly if someone in the community does not call it out for you to draw you closer to Jesus Christ? How do you know that you are greedy and not living a generous life if someone in the community does not speak into that for you? You see, we have access to Jesus. We grow in our deeper relationship to him. How do you know that you're not following after an idol, that you are following after an idol, unless somebody in that community calls you? that into your life. How does the transforming power of Jesus come into your life? I'll tell you the truth. It's not for you sitting at home one-on-one thinking that I'm just going to read my Bible and that somehow I'm going to get that. It doesn't work that way. You're wrong. That's not going to change your life. They said this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Christian faith is unique, distinct, irreplaceable because it is not a solitary relationship. It requires community. It requires congregation whose members' lives are linked together. It requires a mutual relationship with one another where you are not just receiving, but you are also giving. It requires, and it distinct and it's unique because it is the one community that gives you access to Jesus. You learn more about Jesus when you gather in a community that bears his name. You guys understand that? This is why the community is so important. Everything we learn about Jesus, his attributes, his love, his, his, his devotion, his forgiveness, it comes from the corporate power and relationship of this community. That's why it's so distinct. That's why it's so unique. That's why it's irreplaceable. There's, there's no way that you can sit at home and think to yourself, I can be in this amazing relationship with Jesus by myself. That's not in the Bible, by the way. So I don't know where you're quoting that from. And there's no way that you can just show up to church every day for years after years and not be a part of someone's life and think that somehow you're in this amazing relationship with Jesus. The Bible doesn't teach us that. So where do we get this notion like that? Last year was the worst year ever. You guys know why? I, I've met so many of my friends, so many of old high school, college friends, 
members of my church that I used to grow up with in the Korean church. I met them and I talked to them. And, you know, I'm just asking, so how are you congregating with your people? How are you building each other's life? And they say, I'm not. And I'm like, that's okay with you? Says, well, I, have, I have the internet. I can just look up a message. It's like, church is not a message. It's, it's not, it's, you, don't, you don't aggregate here. You don't know more about Jesus because you listen to a message. It's, it's informative. It's powerful. It's convicting. But you're not going to learn and grow and deepen your depth of character, who you are, without a relationship with other people. What are you guys doing? But you know what it is? It's mostly convenience, actually. Conven- First, it was, an ex- it, it, was, it, was, it was legit. Then it became an excuse. Then it became convenience. The Christian community is unique, distinct, irreplaceable because one, its members are linked together. Two, its members are mutually responsible for one another. And then three, it is the one community that gives access to Jesus. You follow? So let me ask you this question. That begs the question, well, PT, then what does a community like this look like? I know it's distinct. I know it's unique. I know it's irreplaceable. I need to have it. But what does it look like? What would it look like a healthy community like this? How would it play out? It's seen in verse 24 to 25. It's four things, okay? I know there's a lot today, right? It's like four, four points, three points, four points. Like, you know, sometimes it just goes like that. But listen, just follow, okay? It's going to be good for you. Four things. The nature of the Christian community. Four natures of the Christian community. You guys ready? All right, check it out. Verse 24. First, let us consider how. Let us consider how. The word here is the word consider, okay? The first thing, the first nature of the Christian community is considering the lives of each other. Let us stop and think. Let us ponder. Let us reflect. Look at, let us look at our friends around us and wonder how we can lead them into a more loving life and greater character. See, the word consider here is to ask the question, I need to look at the people around me and consider how can I help them grow, to love more, to grow into deeper character. See, as a pastor, I counsel a lot of people, right? I counsel a lot of people. Come, people come, share, talk with me. And when I sit, I listen. If you're a counselor, you guys know this. You guys have to sit there and you kind of take notes, right? And some of you guys don't take notes, but you guys kind of just draw pictures because you're kind of bored with what they're saying, right? But I, I don't do that, right? We take notes. What do you do? What's the point of taking notes? You're considering. You're considering as they're sharing with you, how can I help this person? become less anxious? How can I help this person break out of their cycle that they're constantly stuck in, that they can't see themselves? How can I help them see that they're in this cycle? How do I help them see? How do I help them move towards forgiveness and reconciliation? How do I stop them from keep sweeping forgiveness under the rug or keep sweeping reconciliation under the rug or putting it in the back burner? How can I help them face it, deal with it, right? As a counselor, you do that. In a healthy Christian community, you know what? We need to do that for each other. We need to consider this for each other. Do you have a set of, let me ask you guys, do you guys have a set of people around you that you know that are actively thinking of how you can grow? 
Do you have a set of people around you that you allow into your life that are actively thinking of how to help you grow? Are you letting anyone do that for you? And I'm not just talking about people who are, I'm not just talking about people who are just friendly to you, but people who are willing to speak truth to you. You see the difference? I'm not talking about people who are just nice to you, but I'm talking about people who actually speak truth into your life. You know, I, in our church, I have somebody like that, right? Very annoying, but I have one, right? right? It's unwang, you know? Every time, I didn't do this, right? When a pastor out there in the world somewhere commits adultery, you know what he does? He sends me the article. I'm like, bro, man, I'm not going to sleep with another woman. I love my wife. He's like, Shh, I don't know that, right? I'm just reminding you. Your issue, PT, is not going to be a theological problem. I'm like, okay, you preach the gospel, fine. Your issue is going to be a moral problem. I'm like, great, thanks, right? Feel encouraged. So I'm just here to tell you, right? So, but I'm not doing it. Why are you preemptively telling me? He's like, should I tell you after the fact then? I said, no, you're right. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Right, you're right. Do you have people like that? But sometimes when I, when I, I have to sit through and listen to him, like, you know, message me and tell, him, ask, tell all these things. But you know what? After all of that and I process it, I realize this is good. It's good. You know why? Because it always reminds me, you got to stop that. You got to stop that. That's shady. No, yep. Every time. Why? Why? Because... Thankfully, prayerfully, he's always considering me. He's considering how. Do you have people in your life that you're looking at considering? What do I have to do to help this person grow? Are you intentional about helping each other? Are you sharing your sins and your weaknesses, your strength and your aspirations to one another? Are you coming alongside someone and saying, hey, this is where I want to be? If someone comes and telling you, this is where I want to be, then you're telling them, okay, I'll walk with you. If they're, are they coming to you saying, this is what I'm struggling with? And you say, okay, let me keep you accountable. If someone coming to you and say, this is my current pain, all right, let me walk with you. If that's where you want to get to, let me help you get there. Do you have someone like that in your life? Are you someone like that for someone else in their life? Because the nature of the Christian community is that when we gather, or throughout the week, throughout the year, throughout the time, we're always considering how. How can I help? How can I bless? How can I serve? How can I help? How can I endure? How can I speak into this person's life? How can I be there? We're always considering, do you have that person in your life? Are you allowing someone like that into your life? Are you like that for someone in their life? It's a good thing, guys. I know you may think like, you know, every time I meet, all they do is just nag and complain and worry about me, right? They don't have to, honestly. Like, like what, what win do they have? Think about this, Right? What win is it for them to say all these things? To bend over backwards, to worry, to consider how you are, to want to see you grow, 
And our attitude, our reflexive attitude is, you're annoying. It's too much. I can't deal with it. What does that say? The nature of the Christian community is that we consider always what's going on. But the second nature of the Christian community is this. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another. Spur one another. The, the Greek, in the Greek, the word spur right here, it's, it's funny. It actually means to irritate each other, right? Let us consider how we may irritate each other, but not in like the like annoying irritation, but it means this. How we can sharply confront, how we can sharply disagree with the person. The nature of the Christian community, as it's lived out, is that only do you consider how they are doing, but that you are spurring them. You're willing to sharply disagree with them. You're willing to sharply confront them. And we're being told in the text that if you don't have someone like that in your life, allowing them to sharply confront you, you're not going to grow. Sorry. You're not going to become the person who moved towards love and good deeds. If you don't have someone who's willing to spur you, to sharply disagree with you. Now, let me tell you this. You can disagree with somebody and still love them, right? We, we got this mindset that if I disagree with you, I am somehow annoyed with you or I hate you. If I somehow sharply confront you, that I no longer care for you or love you, right? Where did you get that from? You can definitely sharply confront, sharply disagree, and definitely still love. But if you don't have someone like that in your life, you're dead. You're not moving. You're stuck in whatever cycle that you keep running around in. You're in dead waters. You just become someone who is stuck in the same cycle. See, if you're, if you're the kind of person, let me tell you guys, if you're the kind of person that's too touchy, to let anyone come in and hold you accountable about the more intimate things in your life, I'll tell you right now, you're dead in water. If you're so touchy, so sensitive, so easily offended that you cannot let someone into your life to spur you, to speak truth into you, you're in dead waters. There's a story in the in, in uh, the Odyssey. You guys, you guys know the story of the Odyssey, Odysseus, or the Greek term Ulysses, right? Odysseus. There was one section when he was about to go past the sirens. You know the sirens? There are these ladies who sing, and their songs are so enchanting that they lead men mad with desire and lust. And sailors would drive their their whole boat towards the rocks and these cliffs destroying and shipwrecking everyone for the sake of being close to these sirens. Now, Odysseus, he knows that this was coming up. He knows that the siren area was coming, so he does what? He says, I'm going to put earwax in all of my sailors, and I'm going to tie myself to the mast. And he told them, no matter how much I scream or yell or whatever I say, do not, do not untie me. Do not let me get my way. Do not give me what I want. What he was saying was what? Give me what I need. Tie me to the mass. Keep rowing. And no matter how much I yell, no matter how much I struggle, no matter how crazy 
I look, keep rowing. Do not let me get what I want. Give me what I need, not what I want. Keep going until I come to my senses. Do you realize that that is the perfect picture of the Christian fellowship? Your biggest sins, the one that's most prevalent in your life, the one that, 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 that you, maybe, not, maybe you don't even know about, the one that shipwrecks you every single time, the one that messes you up and brings you back in that cycle every single time, the one that you're the most blind to, most deceived to, the one that you rationalize, and the one that you minimize, right? The one that you rationalize and the one that you minimize. That most prevalent sin in your life, right? The sign of a healthy church is that the members know that and hold you accountable to that sin. They know that. They know your blind spot. They know it, that it keeps shipwrecking you every time you fall into that same cycle. For ladies, sometimes, and for guys, you fall into a cycle of love. I just need someone to love me, someone to love me. Someone comes into your life and says, this is your cycle. This is your shipwreck. This is going to hurt you. This is going to break you. This is going to destroy you. Let me take you out of that. See, a Christian community, a loving Christian community will do what? They know that. Their members are linked to each other. They're in mutual relationship with each other. And what do they seek to do? They seek to spur one another. They sharply disagree. See, some of you guys can say this. The Bible tells me I'm going to engage, I'm not to engage in any sexual immorality like sex outside of marriage or binge watch porn, but I want to. But I want to. The Bible tells me we shouldn't be spending all of our money on ourselves in self-indulgent ways, but man, I want to. I want to buy things for myself. I want to acquire my own wealth. The Bible tells me we should be forgiving. We should forgive, not hold grudge. But I don't want to forgive. I want to hold grudge. The Bible tells me we shouldn't be filled with self-pity. But I get real self-absorbed and I feel sorry for myself. And when you see me doing that, I want you to give me what I need, not what I want. To spur one another is to give you what you need, not what you want. To sharply disagree with you, to sharply confront you in these areas that you are blinded to, that you are minimizing, what am I keep saying there? Minimizing, that you're rationalizing. It's to confront me in these areas and give me what I need not what I want. And when you see that happen in my life, stop me. I want you to come after me. I want you to spur me. You want know to spur on the horse, the spur on the, the, the cowboy boots? You know what they do, right? It's to hit the horse, right? It's to kind of spur the horse to move. Hey, almost wound me, right? To confront me, and I give you the right to do that. Are you doing that? Do you allow people into your life that does that for you? Or do you take things so personally that you run away? That you exclude yourself? That you isolate yourself? You get into this habit to say, don't tell me what to do. Nobody has the right to live out my life but me. Are you that person? 
Let me tell you something. I hope you're ready for a lonely existence. Because here's two things. You can live with the individualistic narrative and freedom of our culture, or you can live with a loving community, but you can't have both. You cannot have both. Do you have someone in your life that is spurring you on, sharply disagreeing with you? I want you to know this is, oh, one more, one more before I give my last part. The, dis, the nature of the Christian community is that you consider, always consider the other person, what's going on? How do I help? And two, you're willing to spur. We are a people that's willing to sharply disagree for the other. But there's the third part. Third part comes in verse 5. Midway through. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So you can't just have spurring and, you know, if you're like, oh, man, it sucks, man. I feel like I'm just getting yelled at every day. No, you can't just have spurring without encouraging, right? Encouraging is to come alongside someone. It means you empathetically, sympathetically put yourself in somebody's shoes and show them that you're for them and that you support them. To encourage someone is this, this, this picture of, of uh, us coming alongside next to them to deal with them. You, you need both confrontation and support. You need both confrontation and support. Some churches are only good at confrontation. Some, purchase, some churches are only good at telling you why you're messed up, what you've done wrong, constantly calling out your failures. Other are really good at supporting. They'll support you regardless of what you do. You're sleeping with your boyfriend, girlfriend? We love you. We support you. You decide you don't need to show up to church because it's inconvenient to you? Sure, it's okay. Find something else. We'll support you. You hate this person and want to ignore it and not deal with your issue? Sure, we'll support that destructive behavior. All support, no confrontation. And let me tell you, any community that, that veers towards one or the other by itself will not produce love and good deeds. Any, any, any community that does just one, all confrontation, is not going to produce out of its members love and good deeds. In the same way, any community that does only support, we love you, we always love you, come, talk, vomit, tell us, right? Everything, over and over. We support your self-pity behavior, self-focused behavior. We support your constant cycle that you're in. Without confrontation, it will not lead you to love and good deeds. It will lead you to a, one extreme, to hide, to become religious, pharisaic, to not disclose who you really are. On the other hand, it will lead you to not do anything, caught in the same cycle, stuck, not moving, not growing. You need both. There needs to be both confrontation and support. It's like this. Hey, an example. I'm concerned about this aspect of your life. Let's find a way to get through it together. You don't have to do it alone. Let me be here with you. Hey, I'm seeing a vicious pattern of hot, cold temperament going on in your life. It's hard, but let's do it together. 
Hey, your self-pity is turning into self-absorbed destruction. Let's do this together. We love you. We don't want you stuck. We want to see you free. You get me? The nature of the Christian community is for you, the beauty of it is that you are in a community that considers the life of the other person. You are in a Christian community that continuously seeks to spur the other person and to encourage the other person. Do you, do you understand? This is why we develop salt. This is our discipleship here. The whole heart of it is this picture. That in your salt relationship, when you are mutually binded together, connected together, congregating together, mutually in relationship to each other, you can't, the salt leader is constantly, I pray it, they are, considering how can I help them? They're struggling with unforgiveness. How do I keep encouraging them to fight it? They're stuck in this cycle. How do I get them out of this cycle? How do I pray? How do I, what? They're constantly considering these things. But at the same time, they're also doing what? They're spurring each other on. You're sleeping with your girlfriend? No, man, that's not how it goes here. You're moving in with her? That's a recipe for divorce, bro. But the salt relationship also encourages, right? I'm not going to lie. Pastor's uh, confession, I'm the worst at the last one, encouraging. I'm very good at just yelling at all my guys, right? I'm, and, th and this is one thing they've always been saying. This is, this is like their common theme. It's been very consistent across the board. It says, PT, it's never enough. It's never good enough. Even my wife says it to me. It's I'm never good enough, right? I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Right? Working on it. Working on it. But the true heart of a salt relationship, you consider, you spur, you encourage. That's the nature of a Christian community. You guys see that? But there's a one last nature of it. It's that you consider, you spur, and you encourage towards what? Towards love and good deeds. Look at um, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and and good deeds. Love and good deeds. See, if we live this out faithfully, listen, if we live the nature of the Christian community out faithfully, if you're considering each other, if you're spurring each other, if you're encouraging each other, what results from that life is love and good deeds. If you are involved in each other's lives like this, love comes out. You know what love is? The character. You're building character into someone else's life. Are you doing that for somebody? Or are you still about you? Are you laying someone into your life to do that for you? Or are you so caught up in your individualistic life pattern? Because I guarantee you, if there is no encouraging, no considering, and no spurring, there is no result of character development nor good deeds that comes forth from that. Because your character is developed when you have the courage to let someone speak transparently into your life, to call out an issue that you are deeply struggling with, that you do not want to see, that you minimi minimize and you put under the rug. And then when they call that out, you now see it for what it really is. And you have this one moment to say, let me actually do something about it. 
rather than just sitting around moping and falling back in the same cycle over and over and over. And when you step into the process of doing something, there is growth, there is development of character, there is love. You guys follow me? It makes sense, right? I'm, 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 this is the Christian community. Without encouragement, without considering, without spurring, there is no love and there is no good deed. Now, when, when the word good deeds here is not just about being nice to like people. What it means is it means active, compassionate service. You practically help one another. You're willing to reach out and take care of each other when they're, like, for example, sick. To be able to babysit for couples because you know that they need to have time for their marriage and sometimes children get in the way, right? Shameless plug. Please help babysit our kids, right? <laughs> Secondly, right, you practically serve each other because no job is too menial for you. We have doctors doing parking lot duties. You know that? We have engineers waving people in with their cars because if you're there spurring and considering and encouraging each other, there is no job too menial. You don't need some high praying position. You don't need some high gloating position. You don't need that. You're just willing to serve because out of that came character and compassion to do what is necessary. You can pick up chairs and not be like, oh, that's, that's for the young bucks. You got to impress the girls. No, pick up your own chairs, right? Is that you? If there's a need, do you step up and step in? Or do you have the attitude that it's a little bit beneath me? I'm more gifted than that. Use me more profoundly. Listen, guys, if you can't pick up a broom, no one's going to give you a mic. Right? If you can't even pick up a broom, no one's going to give you a mic. So why? why? That's not love or good deeds. But here we are. You compassionately serve one another for those that are oftentimes marginalized or not seen. Let me tell you a story. It's a really good story. I read it the other day. I really liked it. There's this guy named Tony Campola. You guys know Tony Campola? He's an author, writer, uh, podcast guy, radio host. Tony Campola, look him up, right? He's a pastor. So he has a lot of speaking engagements. So one of his speaking engagements was in Hawaii, right? And, you know, Hawaii is six hours different. So once you get to Hawaii, you wake up very early, right? Because you usually wake up at 10, but you end up waking up at 7, no, 3 hours different. You wake, wake, now you wake up at 3 or something like that, right? So you, 7, 7, wake up at 7, right? So it's a 3 hours. So you, wake, you end up waking pretty early. So Tony Campola, he ended up waking up very early. He, he went up, he did an engagement over there, a speaking engagement. He went to sleep, and he woke up like at, at like 3 in the morning. He's like, okay, what do I do? So he went out to a cafe that's open late night. He went out there and started eating, you know, and what he heard was then, he, you know, there was these two girls sitting in the next booth behind them, and they were prostitutes. And, you know, they were talking about, like, oh, next week, one of the girls said, next week is my birthday. And he's like, oh, congratulations. Like, yeah, I've never really had a birthday. Never really celebrated one. Don't think I ever need one, right? And stuff like that. And so Tony Campola heard that, and then they, they left. So he, they called over the, the, the cafe um, uh, manager or restaurant owner. He said, hey, his name was Harry. Harry, do you know those girls? Like, yeah, I know all the girls who come in here. Right? All the late night shift girls. I know them all. Right? It's like, huh. Hey, let's throw her a birthday party. 
Just I'll buy the I'll buy the cake. I'll buy the I'll buy the, the, the decoration. Do you know any of her friends? Like, yeah, I know all of her friends, all the prostitutes, all of her friends are prostitutes, right? I know all of them. They all come in all the time. Yeah, invite them, right? Let's come back here tomorrow, right? We'll, we'll do this, okay? True story. Okay, I'm not making this up. This, I read this, right? So, so next day, buys the decorations, gets the cake, whatnot, and lo and behold, Harry calls all the friends, and all her friends end up being prostitutes, all gathered around, coming here, and then, you know, she walks in with her friend, and everyone said, surprise, happy birthday, right? And the girl just broke down weeping, crying. And, and then she was like, it was just makeup was running. And then, uh, you know, Harry brought out the cake. And he says, all right, let's blow the candle. And then everyone said, happy birthday. She blew out the candle, but she couldn't barely blow it because, you know, like it's all over the place. So finally she blows out the candle. And then they said, okay, you guys want to cut it? And she's like, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Can we keep this cake? Can, can we not eat it yet? Can I just have this cake? Right? Can, can I just hold it? I've never had a birthday before. Can I just have it? And the guy said, I'll come back. I'll, I'll put it in my fridge. It'll be great. I'll come back. I'll be right back. I live down, this, I live, uh, down the corner. I'll be right back. So everyone said, okay. So then she got the cake. She runs out. And so there's this awkward, like, silence. This, you know, Tony Campolo, the pastor, bunch of prostitutes in the, in, in the cafe, Harry standing there. And so he said, you know, how about we, uh, how about we pray? For our sister, right? And so he led a prayer. Bowed ahead and he prayed. And after he prayed, Harry came out and he says, I didn't know you were a priest. Well, I'm a pastor, right? I said, what church do you pastor at? And Tony Campola said, I pastor at a church that throws birthdays for prostitutes. And Harry was like, no, you don't, right? <laughs> Such a church doesn't exist. It does, right? No, it doesn't. Because if it does, I will be at that church. I will be at that church, he says. The nature of the Christian community is that we consider how we can serve, bless, love, encourage, strengthen, walk with another person. The nature of the Christian community is that we consider how we spur one, each, one another. How we sharply can disagree, sharply confront, sharply speak truth, sharply call out things that we minimize, hide, rationalize, blinded to. The nature of the Christian community is to encourage that we seek to encourage. And when those things are done, what results from a community like that is that you have people of depth of character and who seeks good deeds. That no job, no service is too menial. That you don't just run out and not want to finish serving or cleaning up just simply because, you know, you'd rather have someone else do it for you. No job is too menial, and yet also you love with compassion with those who are marginalized. I'm not going to lie to you guys. TLC, we've come a long way, right? We've grown in a lot of great areas, but there's still so much to do. You know what it is? We're still, we still need to bring restoration to people. There's still a blockage within this church that still has a stigma against people outside, people that no one really kind of pay attention to. 
We focus on the me and mine. Not much about those around us. You see, the nature of our community ought to be what? That we are spurred onto depth of character and good deeds. So that's church. So one, the Christian community is unique, irreplaceable, and distinct. Two, the nature of the Christian community is to consider, to encourage, to spur, and to bring forth good works. But here's the last part. You guys ready? The secret source of the Christian community comes to us from verse 19 to 22. Again, what the author is trying to do is to give us this assurance, give us this confidence, remind us of our position and our identity, what we have. And what does he say? He say, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. You know what confidence is? Confidence is when my son can run into me doing work, ask for me for water, and he knows I will get up and get him water in the middle of my job. That's confidence, right? He knows that he will not die. He knows that he will get what he wants because he has the confidence to approach his father. Because we have the confidence to enter the most holy place. By who? Because of Jesus. By a new and living way open for us through what? The curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Because when you know that by the blood of Jesus, you have been admitted into this ultimate inner circle of acceptance. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you are fully accepted. You know this without confidence. You, you know that you are the one that can come to the, to the bedroom of a king and wake the king up because you are his son and you are his daughter. I said this so many times. The only one in the palace who was willing, was able to wake the king up in the middle of the night is the child is the son, is the daughter. You have that position, you have that identity in Jesus Christ to come to the Father, to be part of the inner circle of acceptance. When you have that, it literally destroys, it destroys your need to be in relationship with people for your own sake. Because think about this, why do we engage in relationship with people? For me, because you make me feel good about myself. Because you comfort me. Because you listen to me. Because you make me feel nice. Because you are a nice person and you make me feel complete. You enter most of the time into a relationship not for the other person but for yourself. See, the only way that you can enter into a relationship for the other person is that you yourself have to have the confidence that you already accepted. Completely. Unfailingly. Unconditionally. So that when you're in a relationship, you don't need their acceptance. You don't need their affirmation. You don't need their admonishment. You are able to give. You are able to offer. You are able to let go and lay down. See, you can enter into a salt relationship even when things aren't looking too peachy. You can stay and you fight the good fight with them. Even when they disappoint you, they hurt you, 
They lie to you. They mislead you. You can stay in that relationship. You know how? Because your identity is not dictated by how they respond. No matter how messed up they are towards you, you can still stay with them. You don't feel good about yourself because they listen to you. You feel good about yourself because you've known that you're drawn to the Father. You, you know that you are fully accepted. We started our EM with this simple idea. You know what it was? Let's just do church the way the Bible tells us to do church. Let's just make disciples. That was what we just built this heart of the EM on. It wasn't my idea. It was the collective idea of our leaders. Let's make disciples and invest in their lives. Let's preach the gospel in such a way where we have the confidence in who we are in our relationship with God that we can invest in someone's life and not feel inconvenienced by them. Not feel angry because they didn't give us back what we thought we deserved back. How many of you guys are in a relationship like that when you don't want to give anymore because you feel like they're not respecting you, they're not honoring you, they're not appreciating you? And so you decide, I'm not going to continue to deal with them anymore. See, but if you are a salt leader here, TLC, one thing I have to remind you is I'm going to ask you the question, what is your identity based on? Is it based on what they can give to you or is it based on what Christ has already given to you? Because if it's based on what they can give to you, you will be a salt leader that is going to constantly not encourage, not spur, not consider. Because all you're going to be doing is telling, telling them exactly what they want to hear. You're not going to spur them on towards love or good deeds. You're destroying them. But if your relationship is solid with the Father, if you know your identity, if you know who you are before him, they can lie to you. They can hurt you. They can break you. But you can still go on loving them. Because why? Because what is the secret of that? Because we lied to Jesus. We disappointed him. We hurt him. We sent him to the cross. We murdered him. And still he went willingly, saying what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The secret of the Christian community is the gospel. The only way that we can live this out is the gospel is alive in you. So my prayer, church, is that we bring restoration to this house, to this body that bears his name. There's a lot of things I need to work on as a pastor, too. I'm not just saying this as a rebuke or as a confrontation or as a... Um, disagreement to you. There's a lot of things as I write this, as I wrote this message, as I meditate on it, God has convicted me of. He has taught me much. We need to grow. We need to do it together. Amen? All right? We can't do this life alone. So please, my prayer is this. Have someone in your life. Be a part of a community. Find a salt. Find a mentor. Find a ministry to serve with. Find people that's willing to invest in your life. Find people that you're willing to invest in their lives. 
and pray, I pray that what drives you is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.